Uh, Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verses 12 through 25. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room? And where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mark. I am not what you would consider a foodie. I'm not particularly picky about my food. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy a good meal, but I just can't justify doling out more than $100 for a single meal. Having said that, I know that some of you here are some serious foodies and are willing to dole out the cash, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think one of the the great blessings God has given us is the blessings of our taste buds. Can you imagine if he didn't give us taste buds, and if everything tasted bland, that would rob us of so much joy, right? I recently learned about a restaurant located off an island of Spain, It's called Sublimotion and is known as the world's most expensive restaurant. How much does it cost per head? $2,400 for a single meal. What does that get you? It gets you a three-hour banquet that takes patrons on a gastronomic journey. Yes, I looked at the uh, website. A gastronomic journey complete with 20 courses through different times and places and even stages of emotions, right? It utilizes state-of-the-art technology, sound system, even a VR headset to help you have a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Jesus also loved food. When you read the Gospels, you see him eating all the time. His first miracle took place at a wedding banquet where he turned water into wine. Another miracle that he's famous for is the feeding of 5,000 
And as if that weren't enough, he performs the miracle again and feeds 4,000. Some of his most memorable interactions with his followers occur while dining at a table. You might remember the city, uh, the woman from the city who came to weep and wash Jesus' feet. Just a few weeks ago, we took a look at a passage where Mary comes and breaks an alabaster jar of nard and pours it over his head again while he is eating. Even after Jesus rises from the dead, he is not done eating. One of his first acts as the resurrected Lord is to cook his disciples a meal. Finally, Jesus is not done feeding us. With the Lord's Supper, he continues to dine with his church for years on end throughout history. Unfortunately, I don't think many of us here appreciate the Lord's Supper as much as it needs to be appreciated. When was the last time you said to yourself, I can't wait for the Lord's Supper? When was the last time you said to yourself, I really need the Lord's Supper? When you see the table prepared before you as you enter in, what are you thinking? Is it, yes, we get to celebrate communion today? Or is it, ugh, worship's going to be long? I wonder if the reason why we don't appreciate the Lord's Supper is because, frankly, many of us don't know what it means. It's like the national anthem. We all know the tune. We know the first words, oh, say, can you see? And yet we don't know the rest of the song. We've heard it thousands of times at every sporting event. We can recognize it from far away, but we have no idea what we're singing about. Perhaps the same can be said of the Lord's Supper. We've been celebrating it, participating it week after week for how many years, eating the bread, drinking the wine. We're going through the motions, but don't really understand what we're doing. Well, I hope to rectify that this morning as we have a crash course on the Lord's Supper um, and, and look at this passage. Now, the first point I want to make is to let you know that the Lord's Supper is essential for our spiritual health. It's not some extra credit that God gives us, like a garnish on a dinner platter. It's not a nice-to-have if that's your thing. It's a must-have. Not only does Jesus command the church to celebrate it here in our passage, but the Apostle Paul assumes its practice when he gives specific instructions about it in his letter. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Notice how he says, for as often as you eat and drink. He assumes that the church is practicing it often. 
In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we have one of the earliest descriptions of the early church. What does it say? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. I think all of us can affirm the importance of the church giving themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is recorded for us in the New Testament. We can all affirm how important it is for a church to experience fellowship. We all can affirm how important prayer is to the church, but alongside these major rocks of the church, we have the breaking of bread. This was one of my main concerns during the first year of the pandemic. When everything had to close down, we are thankful for our AV team in getting up our live stream up and going. And I was thankful that through the live stream, we were able to still connect with everyone from home, preaching sermons, singing songs, praying together. But there was one thing we couldn't do through the internet. We couldn't celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I knew it was only a matter of time where the neglect of this table would eventually impact negatively our spiritual health, which is why we tried to to get into the parking lot and celebrate communion at the office as soon as we were able. This is one of the reasons why in-person worship is important. I want to turn my attention to those of you joining us from home. Pastorally, I want to say thank you for joining us virtually. We're so glad that we're able to still connect with you and minister to you through this stream. But one thing I hope you realize is that the the live stream, the virtual service, was never meant to be a replacement for in-person worship. It's really a a temporary band-aid for occasions where we're providentially hindered from coming out. In no way was it designed to replace the worship service. One of the reasons which is you're unable to come and receive the Lord's meal. Now, having established the necessity and importance of the Lord's Supper, Let's tackle what it means. Now, I'm being very ambitious in trying to unpack to you the significance of the Lord's table in only one sermon. And so I'm going to try to distill some of the major points, and I'm distilling it into three basic points. Number one, the Lord's Supper signifies the past commemoration of Jesus' suffering. It signifies the present celebration of our freedom. Number three, the future consummation of God's kingdom. The three C's, past commemoration, present celebration, future consummation. First, the Lord's Supper beckons us to look to the past. And this is true not only for us today, but also for the 12 disciples when Jesus first instituted it. Why? Because Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper during Passover. 
It's not coincidence that the Lord's Supper takes place during the Passover meal. Why? Because Jesus is saying, I am doing something new with this Passover. For those of you who are new to the scriptures, Passover is a a special holy day for the Jewish people. It commemorates the day when God would spare the Israelites from judgment. You see, on the 10th plague, God would send an angel of death to wipe out all the firstborn of Egypt. But he commanded the Israelites, if you sacrifice a lamb and and smear the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of your home, the angel of death will pass over those homes, hence its name. Now, this 10th and final plague was historic and significant because it would be the final plague to break Pharaoh's back. After this plague, Pharaoh finally lets God's people go. And so it simultaneously signifies Israel's independence from Egypt, their freedom from bondage to slavery. And as a way to mark this historic event, God commanded the Jews to celebrate Passover every year. And the way they celebrated it is by eating unleavened bread and eating a Passover lamb. They would do this every year. And over the years, a fixed liturgy would develop known as the Seder. And in this ceremony, the head of household would highlight different elements of the meal and then unpack its significance and how it relates to Israel's history. For example, uh, the, the, the head might pick up some bitter herbs that are on the table and then pronounce to everyone, the bitter herbs represent the bitterness of slavery under Pharaoh. And then the head of household might pick up a, a, a dish of stewed fruit and say, see this stewed fruit? It looks like the clay, the clay that was used to make bricks for Pharaoh. And so element by element, he picks up these uh, things, these dishes, and explains it in light of Israel's history. And so when Jesus picks up the bread, No one bats an eye. This is to be expected. And yet, Jesus would say something that would surprise everyone. Everyone was expecting Jesus today to say something like this. This is the bread of affliction when we once lived in Egypt. But instead, to everyone's shock, Jesus says, this is my body. Jesus redefines the Passover. He repackages it for the church and identifies the bread with his own body. Now, at this point, the reader is saying, what about the lamb? Passover involved two things, the eating of unleavened bread, but also a lamb. Well, in verse 24, Jesus would say, This is my blood of the covenant, 
which is poured out for many. At this point, everyone realized that Jesus had not forgotten the lamb. He is the Passover lamb. His blood will be shed. His blood will be smeared on the doorposts of our hearts so that judgment passes over us. He is the Lamb of God sacrificed on our behalf. What God invites us to do then when we celebrate the Lord's Supper is to meditate on Christ's own humiliation. He invites us to grasp the great cost Jesus paid for our salvation. Unlike the restaurant sublimotion, we do not charge you to come to this table. There's no entrance fee. There's no cover fee. We're not even asking you to tip. Having said that, though it is free for us to come and enjoy, I want you to know that there is no restaurant in this world that serves more expensive food than this one. For here at this table, Jesus gave his life so that we might feast on him. And God wants us to grasp, do you see how expensive your salvation is? Do you see the great price my son paid for your salvation? This is amplified by the surrounding context of the Lord's Supper. Right before Jesus institutes it, what happens? Jesus predicts, Judas's betrayal. Right after these verses, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. And so on the left, you have Judas' betrayal. On the right, you have Peter's denial. Straight ahead, you have the cross. Jesus is hemmed in on all sides by agony, anguish, torment, And so the Lord's Supper is God's reminder to us, appreciate what I've done for you, what I endured for you. At the same time, as much as the Lord's Supper is a commemoration of Jesus' suffering, it's also a present celebration of our freedom. It's not to be accompanied with just doom and gloom. No, infused in the Lord's Supper is also joy and jubilation. He suffered for a reason. He suffered for a purpose. He suffered to set us free. And when you think of freedom, I want you to think of freedom in one of two ways, freedom from and freedom Beginning with freedom from, Jesus suffered so that we might be set free from sin and death. Just as Passover marked Israel's freedom from Pharaoh, so too the Lord's Supper signifies freedom from sin and death, from guilt and shame. 
We no longer feel the sting of Pharaoh's whips, the accusations of the evil one, the insults he hurls against us, the charges that are thrown at us no longer stick, no longer define us, no longer have power over us. I don't know about you, but daily I am bombarded with accusations. Daily I am confronted with my own failures. I hear a voice that says to me, Jeff, you don't work hard enough. Jeff, you're not eating healthy enough. You're not exercising enough. You're not reading the Bible enough. You're not praying enough. You're not loving your family enough. You're not serving your church enough. You're not calling your parents enough. Day after day, I am reminded and bombarded with accusations that I am not enough. How about you? Perhaps not the same accusations, but you are told you're not smart enough, you're not skinny enough, you're not pretty enough, popular enough, successful enough, wealthy enough. You're not enough. You're a no good husband, a no good mother, so on and so forth. But the Lord's Supper broadcasts a different message. You are enough. All your failures, all your shortcomings, whether imaginary or real, have been nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. The Lord's Supper declares to us that we are not defined by our failures, we're not defined by our shortcomings, but rather we are defined by the cross, we're defined by Jesus' blood and righteousness. But that is not all. Not only has Jesus freed us from guilt and shame, there's freedom to something. You see, the Lord's Supper is more than just a memorial. You guys know what memorials are, right? They're statues or museums that are erected to help people to never forget what happened before. My family and I last year had the opportunity to visit the 9-11 memorial in New York. It was powerful. It was awesome. And I encourage you to visit if you're ever there. As powerful as memorials can be, the Lord's Supper is better. Because in the Lord's Supper, we don't just remember Jesus, we experience Jesus. Jesus says, this is my body, this is my cup. He's telling us that in this table, at this table, he is there, present with us. Now, he may not be there physically, 
because humanly speaking, Jesus can only be at one place and at one time, and he's currently in heaven, but in his divinity, he's not bound by time and space. And so we can say that Jesus is really present at this table where he's inviting us, come have a meal with me. I want to spend time with you, which is why the Lord's Supper is also known as communion. We're communing with the presence of Christ so that when you see this table, I want you to imagine it extending all the way to heaven. Jesus wants to have a meal with you. It's much more than a memorial. It's an experience with the risen Lord. And so the Lord's Supper is present celebration of our freedom, freedom from guilt and shame, freedom to be present with Jesus. This brings us to the third and final point. In addition to being a past commemoration and a present celebration, the Lord's Supper also signifies future consummation. Notice what Jesus says in verse 25. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What's that day? Glory. Heaven. When the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. The heavenly banquet table. He's pointing us to our future. The Lord's Supper then is a much needed reminder for all of us here that this life, this world is not all that there is. It's a stark reminder that something better awaits us. And you've heard me share this before, but this explains why the elements are so humble in their nature. The portion of bread is super small. If you're hungry, you're going to be disappointed. The, 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 the wine is so small, it barely wets your tongue. Just enough for you to tell if you got the grape juice or the wine. But the reason why the elements are so humble is not because we're trying to be frugal here at New Life. Neither is it simply for pragmatic reasons that we would feel bad for the Sunday Ops team to celebrate a full course meal for 200 people. No, the humble elements remind us that this is not the final table. It's rather a foretaste of that final table so that as we eat it like an appetizer, it causes us to look for what is ahead. And what is ahead is glorious. At that banquet table, worries about tomorrow and regrets about yesterday will not sabotage our experience. At that banquet table, we won't have to look at our watch to see if our two-hour time limit is up. 
at that table, we won't get full after 30 minutes of eating. Has that ever happened to you? You're at an all-you-can-eat buffet, and you're full after like 20 minutes, and yet you've only tasted like 10% of all the food they've offered. In heaven, our appetite for joy will be matched with God's provision for joy. In heaven, the banquet will never end because it will take eternity for us to exhaust God's love for us. There is so much of God to experience. It's going to take eternity for us to explore it. That banquet table will be awesome as God saves the best for last. As a result, when God gives us success here in this life, when he showers earthly blessings upon us, when the winds of providence are blowing at our backs, we give thanks and our hearts swell even more because we know that this is simply a preview of God's eternal blessings waiting for us in heaven. At the same time, when things get hard in this life, when we taste the bitterness of the fall, when we're beat down, when we fail and stumble, when God's divine wind blows against us, we do not lose heart. We do not give up. We do not despair because we know that the Lord's Supper is reminding us that this is not the end of the story, that something better awaits that soon we will dine and eat with him forever. So when you partake of the Lord's Supper, remember these three points. As you partake, meditate on the great price Jesus paid for you. As you partake, meditate on the great freedom he has granted you. As you partake, focus on that table that awaits you. Now do you see why the Lord's Supper is such a gift for our souls? When you meditate on Jesus' suffering, you cannot help but let your affections be stirred for the one who laid down his life as you meditate on what God has set you free from, free from accusations, free to experience his presence, your hearts are filled with joy at what you possess in Christ. And as you meditate on the future that awaits you, your heart swells with hope, knowing that this hope will soon become a reality. You grasp this, and God helps us to grow in this journey that oftentimes can seem arduous and long. And so as we celebrate this morning, may the Spirit of God work in our hearts and enable us to, to really uh, digest all that he wants us to get out of this table today. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for the Lord's Supper. We thank you for the ways you minister to our souls as you hearken us back to Christ's suffering, as you help us to grasp our current freedom, as you point us forward to our glorious future. Oh Lord, may we take advantage of this table, this precious gift, and may you use it to, to enlarge our love, to heighten our joy, and to strengthen our hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.